0: Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello, HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices, and welcome to this episode of HealthCom Central. Today, we're going to be talking about communicating data, specifically numbers. This is a little sliver of a course that I regularly teach called Communicating Numbers and Statistics Effectively. It's a core course that I teach to health communicators at CDC and also to state public health departments and other health organizations. And I actually just gave a lunchtime talk about this very topic to one of the National Institutes of Health the other day based on this course. So there's a whole lot that we cover in that course, including a lot of hands-on work on storytelling with numbers and learning to use social math and creating infographics. We can't do any of that hands-on work in a podcast. But we can talk about one key takeaway, and that is if you're communicating to people about numbers, less is more. In fact, you may not need numbers at all. Now, if I'd started off this episode by telling you, oh, hey, I saw this article the other day. It said 140,570,739 Americans have a BMI over 30. And because of that, something like 17,000 of them, ages 18 to 24, are turned away every year when they try to enlist in the military. And so, for example, now the army only has 62% of the forces it needs. Well, if you caught any of that, and I'm not sure if you did, you probably don't remember it. You probably couldn't recite it back to me. And it may not have even been fully clear what point I was making with all those numbers. It was an absurd overuse of numbers. It seems absurd, and yet I see it all the time in public health. We are awash in data and statistics, and so we cram as many of them in as possible. And quite often, the response we have if people are not persuaded by whatever data we give them is to give them more, more data. Now, one problem here is that most of us in public health are by nature information seekers. We like information, we want to know the facts, and we can easily fall in love with data that we've gathered. This is very true of scientists, very true of researchers. And I'm not going to say that we're not normal, but most people don't want that level of information. Too many numbers can be a distraction. And piling on More numbers doesn't make a message any more persuasive. When it comes to numbers, less really is more. Let's step back for a minute to consider why this is. We already know that most Americans struggle with health literacy. Only about 12%, there's a number for you, only about 12% of American adults are proficient in health literacy. So it means basically that nine out of 10 people in America have trouble accessing understanding, and using health information to make decisions about their personal health. And health literacy, I want to be clear, is very different than functional literacy. You can be extremely well-educated. You can have a PhD in another discipline and still struggle with health literacy. The same is true for numeracy, the ability to process numbers, to do math, to read graphs, to see patterns, even to follow a logical argument. Less than 10% of American adults have high levels of numeracy. And guess what? Even the people who normally have high levels of health literacy or high levels of numeracy sometimes still struggle with it. That's because when we are experiencing the emotions and the physical symptoms that come with a crisis or an emergency Or we're experiencing the fatigue or pain or stress that comes with an illness or injury, our ability to think and to process is temporarily affected. So, even a statistician or a doctor, somebody who normally understands numbers or who understands issues of health and medicine, might have a hard time processing numbers in certain circumstances. Now, that's not to mention the fact that All of us, all of us are already overloaded all the time with information. We really need people to cut to the chase and tell us what is important. One or two numbers for emphasis is great, but don't drown me in numbers. When people are overwhelmed with information or just overwhelmed, period, we can't expect them to recall numbers because they're not going to but what they will recall is gist, the general idea of a thing. And if we have chosen a number that has a strong impact that makes the gist more memorable, then people are going to be more likely to remember it, which is why we as communicators need to rely less on numbers and more on gist. That's G-I-S-T. And that concept is one that comes from cognitive psychology and is widely used, one of my favorite theories that uses it is called fuzzy trace theory, which I'm sure I will be exploring in a future podcast episode because I love it and have actually used it in some of my own research as well. But back to the idea of numbers here, you need to focus on the gist, put the need for people to remember and act upon the gist of what you're telling them before the need for you to showcase your numbers. Now, before you lose your mind and say, okay, how can we possibly get rid of numbers? Let me assure you that that is not what I'm saying. Of course, we need numbers. We need to give people risk information. We need to give people safety information. We need to give people health information of all types, and that's inevitably going to involve some numbers. Some audiences are going to need more numbers than others, and we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But for now, I want you to focus on getting rid of as many specific numbers as possible. The title of this episode, of course, The Importance of Being Imprecise. When it comes to using numbers in a way that works better for people's understanding, there's a field outside of public health that's given this a fair amount of thought. Think for a moment about one of the most common ways that people encounter numbers in their lives every day. The answer is weather forecasts. Meteorologists are the scientists Americans hear from most frequently. And groups like the American Meteorological Society have given a lot of thought to how numbers are presented and how numbers impact people's lives. In fact, I was part of a group A few years ago from the National Communication Association that was invited to the AMS annual conference to train meteorologists in crisis and emergency risk communication and talking about numbers. Meteorologists have also done a lot of audience research around communication of numbers, and they have found that one of the most common numbers in a weather forecast, the chance of precipitation, is actually widely misunderstood. So, what does it mean when I say, oh, there's a 30% chance of rain in Boston tomorrow? I'll pause for a moment so you can think about that 30% chance of rain in Boston. What does that mean to you? Well, polls show it means a whole lot of things to different people. For some people, it means the idea that 30% of Boston will get rained on. For other people, it means that it will rain 30% of the time tomorrow. The correct answer for anyone listening today is that a 30% chance of rain in Boston is about the likelihood of rain. There's a 30% chance it will rain, a 70% chance it won't. It's a, a probability. But among lay audiences, people who are not meteorologists, a large number of people get it wrong. Even some people who work with numbers in public health get it wrong when I do a little poll in my class asking about that question, and inevitably, some of the folks don't know the answer. So, Let's step back for a moment and ask this question. Does it matter if someone understands about what a 30% chance of rain in Boston means? Not necessarily. People don't have to understand those numbers. They don't have to even hear the numbers in many cases if we give them actionable information and they have the information they need to engage in the right behavior. So instead of probability information, meteorologists think of actionable information. They may still give the chance of rain because it's meaningful to a certain portion of the audience, It's something that people have come to expect. In fact, it may even just be a signal that, oh, we're about to talk about rain tomorrow when you hear the meteorologist say 30% chance of rain. But now they often also include specific actionable information, not just the chance of rain, but whether or not the average person needs to carry an umbrella tomorrow or what they should know about planning outdoor activities, the rule here that people in meteorology are beginning to follow and that we need to follow also in public health is lead with the desired or recommended behavior, not with the numbers. And in fact, weather forecasters are even experimenting with a lot of ways to say numbers without saying numbers at all in Even emergency situations. You may know, just as a little aside here, that a lot of meteorology is based on math, it's mathematical modeling. And some of the creative ways that meteorologists have found to get the gist across to people of what they're saying is, for example, instead of talking about the mathematical probabilities involved in the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning meteorologists long ago came up with the words watch and warning. However, as I mentioned, they are constantly doing audience research, and that has shown that many people don't understand those words. And so as communicators, we have to talk in the language that our audience will understand. And so many meteorologists have started using analogies to help people understand the difference between a watch and a warning. And you may have seen tacos. One of my favorites involves cupcakes. And it's putting two photographs side by side, each with a caption. And maybe on the left side, you see a photo of a cup of flour and some eggs and some oil and I don't know, some other ingredients, sugar, that sort of thing. All the ingredients laid out as if you're going to make cupcakes. And the photo on the right is a fully formed frosted cupcake. The photo with the ingredients says cupcake watch, because all the ingredients are present for a cupcake. And on the right, where we see the photo of the cupcake, it says cupcake warning, because in fact, a cupcake has already been spotted. And so it helps people to understand the difference between a tornado watch where all the ingredients are present, and a tornado warning in which a tornado has already been spotted on radar. Again, meeting your audience where they are, is helping to understand the significance of what you're saying. Whether they understand the precise data, whether they remember the data at all is far less important. So if you are developing public health messages or resources and you're considering which numbers to use, I wanna encourage you to not always use an exact number. People sometimes ask me questions about, oh, you know, should I use fractions? Is it okay to use decimal points? What are the rules? And here are three rules that you can follow to be less precise. First of all, rule number one is avoid decimals. Very rarely you might use 0.5, but most of the time, no. Instead, round decimals, if possible, and use words like about, more than, less than, Almost. So 18.5 million becomes more than 18 million. Just much easier to say, much easier to recall. People don't need the 0.5 unless they're about to go out and do an equation. Better yet, and this is rule number two, use words that are the way people talk. So you've got a number that says 32.75%. Yeah, it could be almost 33% but wouldn't it be so much better to say about a third? And rule number three is for fractions, remember to only use the ones that you'd use to cook with. And even then, just the basics, quarters or fourths, thirds, halves. I want you to avoid using eighths or any other fraction ever, ever in the messages that you're writing. And of course, one thing to add here is that making deliberate choices about the combinations of words and numbers that you use can actually convey additional meaning with those choices. You know, so if I was talking about US states, and I tell you 23 states have high levels of flu, what could I say instead that would be better? Instead of 23 states, how about half? Right now, that is a neutral term. But if I wanted to emphasize the amount or indicate an upward trend, instead of saying about half, I could say nearly half of all states have high levels of flu. If I wanted to minimize the number, on the other hand, or indicate a trend that is falling, I could say less than half of all states have high levels of flu right now. Sometimes people tell me that they get pushback on this kind of thing from clearance, If you're with a federal agency, clearance is just a fact of life. If you're with a state or local agency, you probably have some form of clearance, even if you don't call it that, where someone has to approve the messages that you're going to publish. Sometimes you may also get pushback from the people who've actually conducted the research who don't want you to change their numbers at all. Well, here's how you make the case to clearance or to subject matter experts or researchers about making numbers less precise. First of all, we always, always must be accurate in public health. We're not letting anybody off the hook for that. But there is a difference between accuracy and precision. 25,486,427 is precise. Rephrasing it as nearly 25.5 million or more than 25 million is still accurate. Precision and accuracy are two different things. We can be accurate, but we don't have to always be precise. Second, beyond accuracy, any kind of clearance process that you're going through should be advocating for making things easier to comprehend. Research completely supports the idea of simplifying for greater understanding. And if you work for CDC, the Clear Communication Index is, you know, pretty clear when it comes to this. It has three main points that deal with numbers. And those three points are use numbers the way people commonly use them, explain the significance of numbers, and don't make people do math. If this is a recurrent problem, and if the powers that be are not letting your messages and materials out the door, when you simplify the numbers, you may have to get your leadership team to address the issue. At the end of the day, though, Researchers and subject matter experts want their data to have impact. And so, really working together with them and with whatever clearance process you have to make data as clear as possible is the way to go. Another question that I get is well, what if some audiences do need precise numbers? And I am so glad that you asked. Often it's true that one document or resource is going to be used by multiple audiences. And Some of them truly may want or need a little bit more information, but there are many ways to meet those different needs simultaneously. First of all, remember that everyone you're writing for wants clear communication. There's no dividing line between scientific or public health audiences where suddenly you become a scientist and you stop appreciating something that's clear and understandable from the get-go. Even if you care about precise numbers or the statistical analysis that was performed, even if you're a scientist or a public health practitioner or you work in healthcare, you still only have a certain amount of mental bandwidth. Remember, the gist of something will be just as important to you as it is to anybody. Of course, though, you may need to make those things available, and that is something that you can also do fairly easily. With any kind of PDF that you're creating or an HTML newsletter, anything like that, you want to use hyperlinks to provide detail. That might require creating a separate document in which some of the detail can reside, or maybe it's just linking to a larger report or a source, something that you're summarizing. If you are doing work on the web, work with your web designer to create mouse over or hover over options that can show some of the details. Finally, for printed documents or for anything else that you're working on, you can always provide citations for follow up, good old footnotes and endnotes. They work great. And for any of the above, you can also add a QR code that can take people again to a more detailed list of numbers and statistics or to a complete research report that will give them details that they're looking for without cluttering up the text for everybody else. And of course, to make things crystal clear, you always, always want to make the call to action or the significance of the risk obvious to all audiences. Here's the number, what that means to you, and why it matters is. That way, if somebody really does get lost in the numbers or confused by them, the purpose of the communication is still going to be really clear to them. No matter what, we should always be striving to tell a story something that gets people's attention, something they can relate to and remember and act on. So the point is not to shower people with numbers, but to use a carefully chosen number or two to give the story impact and credibility and for people to remember the gist. Numbers are there to support the story, but it's the significance and meaning behind the numbers that should be the star of the show. Less is more. Remember the importance of being imprecise. That's it for today. Thank you so much for being here today. Remember that in podcast land, actually, less is not more, more is more, at least when it comes to downloads and subscribers. So I hope that you will keep telling your friends and colleagues about HealthCom Central. And if you haven't done it already, remember to click subscribe. Tune in next week, wherever you get your podcasts for another episode. Until then, be well, stay safe, and stay science-based. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.